You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We've been in a series on Wednesday nights on uh, quieting the noisy soul and have to deal with just the, the stresses of life, the pressure of life, how not to respond with anxiety and fear and worry. And, uh, and Philippians 4 is an obvious place to go. It's one that, that God brought to my attention this week. And, and honestly, we've been in Romans 1. We could have gone to Romans 1 again. We've been in Romans 1 so many times that I, t- I decided to, s- to switch it up a little bit tonight and f- go to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Let's look at this. It says, Be careful for nothing... But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I I love that verse. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus And he says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And Paul makes it clear that if we are going to have the the peace that God promises us, we don't have to focus on how we feel. It's not a matter of focusing on what's going on around us. It's not a matter of of us focusing on our emotions. It is focusing on what we're thinking. And I I was visiting, I remember Brother Ray, of course, I mentioned Ray Vermolm, and I visited with him yesterday. And and, uh, I remember visiting him when he first uh, had his stroke, it would have been a couple of months ago, and he was in the hospital and uh, I remember going up and, and talking to him, and of course, you know, it really was hard on him, and, and he just, you know, he's just had, he's been through a lot lately. But every time I would go see Brother Ray, he would say this to me. He would say, God is in control. God is in control. And, you know, and there were other times where he was, he was emotional, or he was you know, just dealing with all the things that are coming at him. But every time I left his room, he would tell me, God is in control. And it's been a real encouragement to me the last few months because Brother Ray remembers that, that even when things aren't easy, you have something better to think about. See, really, that's the message of the Apostle Paul is that in, he was dealing with people that were full of cares, full of cares. And, and the, the word careful in verse 6, it means full of cares, but it also it means anxious. Literally, if you look up the word, it means anxious. It means anxiety. It means rubbing your hands. That's what careful is. Things weren't easy for the Philippians. They were facing persecution from the outside. They were dealing with disunity on the inside, even right here in this chapter. And Paul, who they loved and trusted, Paul, who was the one who was the reason that they had faith in Christ... Because he came to the church at Philippi and he preached the gospel there in Philippi and established them and helped them. He's in prison writing these words. So you tell me where where they were getting a source of confidence and a source of trust. 
There's persecution from the outside. There's disunity on the inside. And the man who they would consider their mentor is sitting in a prison cell writing them this letter. That's what the Philippians were dealing with. And yet Paul says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I want to sing this song almost. Rejoice in the Lord. And do a repeat. Don't you think that'd be fun tonight? Rejoice in the Lord. And you say, well, that's a silly song. No, it's a biblical song. It's a biblical way to think. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And Paul is saying it doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. It doesn't matter what's happening in your church. It doesn't matter what's happening to me in prison. You can have joy no matter what. Because, like Brother Ray says, God is in control. Verse 5, he says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And that word moderation means gentleness or patience or, 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 or forbearance. Uh, and we, saw, we sang the song tonight. And it talks about how our, 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 our living, our light, our footsteps ought to be footsteps of gentle forbearance. And you know the reason that God's people can be gentle in the way that they deal with other people is because they have confidence that God is in control. We know that we have somebody that's bigger than us taking care of our problems and dealing with us, uh, dealing with our issues. And it's like when a child is walking in the dark alone, they're afraid. You know, and sometimes I'll watch Jace when, when he turns off his light and he kind of cracks his door and he goes to bed and he still does one of these, whoo, jumping into the bed. Because, you know, if there's a monster there, his arms aren't quite as long. They can't reach your arms if you jump or your legs if they jump. So... I still watch him. He still does that a little bit. You know, sometimes I do that. So I'm not going to judge him. (laughs) When you're you're walking in the dark by yourself as a child, it's scary. But when you're walking with your dad, it's not nearly as scary. As a matter of fact, it's not scary at all. I remember that. And that's what God, that's what Paul is saying. He said, you can have a, you can have a spirit of forbearance. You can have a, a spirit of gentleness. You can have a spirit of patience. Because no matter what's happening around you, the God above you is still in control and his program hasn't been canceled. He says in verse 6, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious about the cares. Don't be anxious. Instead, look up and place your cares in the hands of the one who's able to do something with them. And the result of all this is peace with peace, which passeth all understanding. That's the thought flow here. And once again, I just want to point out the fact That the knowledge of God is the key to facing our fears. If we're angry, if we're worried, if we're in despair, if we're afraid, well, when we choose to believe what is true about God, it settles us. Now, when we choose to reject what is true about God, like we've been talking about in Romans chapter 1, that's called unbelief. And any time we have a wrong view of God, we operate in unbelief. There's this gap between what we choose to believe and what is true about God. And in this gap is where our spiritual problems lie. It's called unbelief. And last week we looked at the thought that discontentment is the result of unbelief. When we choose to believe something about God that isn't true, there's that gap and it's unbelief and it causes us to be discontent. Because for, and I'll show you the, the same, well, it's a little different than last week, this illustration that we looked at last week. And you get this thought flow here that, that you've got unbelief, this gap, when we choose not to believe something about God or we reject truth about God, 
it causes us <coughs> to have unbelief, which is the great disorder of the heart, as Jim Berg calls it. And in that unbelief, the lie of that unbelief is that we tell ourselves, is God is not enough for me. God himself is not enough for me. I need something more. And that's exactly what happens in Romans 1. In Romans 1, if you'll remember, uh, it says that men knew God, but they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. See, they knew about God. He revealed himself to, to them. He reveals himself to everybody through creation and through our conscience. We can know God. He reveals himself. He reveals himself, but they look at him and they, re- they, they choose not to believe what, what is revealed to them about God. And because they choose not to believe what, what is revealed to them about God, um, then there's this gap of unbelief that gets created and it, a lot of it, uh, it starts with and results in this idea of discontentment. And that you look at what God is and you say, well, I know he says that, but I don't think that's true for me. And it says that they weren't thankful for the God that, they, that was revealing himself, revealing himself to them. So they had an opportunity to know God. They had an opportunity to walk with God and have a relationship with him, but they rejected it. They weren't thankful for the God they had. They wanted a different kind of God. They wanted a God of their own making. And in making their own God, it led them to places that you would never want to go. That's Romans 1. Neither were thankful. They were discontent. And it show, our discontentment shows up in so many ways. We say things like, if only. If only things were different in my life. If only I had that. If only I lived there. If only I was married to that person. If only I had more. If I had, I don't like the way things are in my life. I don't like the car I'm driving. I don't like the job I have. I don't like the friends I have. I don't like my clothes. I don't like my, my body. I don't know where, like where I'm at. I don't like the way I look. You know what? We've got to be careful to examine those kind of statements in our minds and take note of those things. When those statements come up in our minds and in our thoughts and out of our mouth even at times, we are revealing that we are discontent. And it's amazing. I don't even think people that are discontent realize how, how, how much it comes out. You can spend a few days with somebody who's discontent and they think things are fine and you come away thinking, man, that is a negative person right there. And they sit down to eat and they say something about the food and, and they stop, you know, you, you go somewhere and they're complaining about the service and, and, and you know, every little thing. And I think people don't even know how much those thoughts, those statements come out. Oh, if only, if, or I hate this, I don't like this. And you're so used to saying those. Well, we've got to get to the point where we track our thoughts. Where we take note of the things that we're thinking I look up here at this anxiety here. Anxiety there, if you're looking at it like a baseball diamond, it's there on third base. And you see how unbelief, that lie of unbelief leads to discontentment and that lust for more is we want something more than what we have. And it leads to, one of the things that it leads to is anxiety, which we're going to be talking about tonight. Anxiety is the emotion of uncertainty. It's what if I don't get what I need? You know, we convince ourselves, I need this. I, I need something more than what I have. 
God's not enough. I need something more. And then we start to get anxious because we wonder if we're going to get what we need. You know, anxiety comes when we're not sure about something. It's a subset of fear, really, and, and not sure, we're not sure how something is going to work out. We feel vulnerable because we've lost sight of God and we've lost sight of what's true and we don't have balance. You know, anxiety shows up in what-if thinking. In what-if thinking. And I hope you're tracking those kinds of thoughts. We're really good at tracking our feelings, you know, a lot of people say, and this is a big statement these days, a lot of people say, well, I feel like, you ever watch a debate? You know, today's debates are more like, well, I feel like this is the problem. Well, that's not a debate. Your feelings on an issue don't have anything to do with the issue. Uh, no, what are the facts? What is really happening? But we're so into, I feel like, we're very good at tracking our feelings. We're not very good at tracking our thoughts. And we must be, get to the place, if we're going to overcome some of this unbelief in our lives, we've got to get to the place where we track our thoughts, thoughts like, well, I don't like that. I don't like when this happens, or if only I had this. But another one is anxiety, and that is a big what-if thought. You know, what if this happens? What if no one likes my casserole at the church potluck? You know, big problems, Right? What if I trip walking up to choir or down from choir? Hey, it's ha- it happens a lot, actually. And now that we have live stream, it's really fun to go back and watch. So what if I trip on live stream? What if I, forget to, what if I forgot to unplug the iron? And you say, well, these are silly, but I wonder how many sermons God wants us to hear. And the whole time we're thinking, but what if, what if, what if? And we miss what God wants us to hear. What if, I don't get, what if I can't pay that bill this month? What if I don't get the raise? Uh, what if I lose my job? What if my car breaks down and I don't have the money to fix it? You never have money to fix your car, okay? Just, that's a universal problem. What if, I don't, what, if, what if I have another panic attack in public? I was sitting at a restaurant um, last week and uh, at, when I was at Ladies' Retreat. I was sitting at a restaurant... By myself, by the way. And I was listening to these people talking. And the whole conversation was, was well, I can't, I'm, I'm too anxious to go to this. And I had a, a panic attack doing this. And I have anxiety doing this. I mean, what, you know, those, are, those are what people are dealing with now. What if I have this, these, this panic attack in public? What if my spouse loses interest in me? You know, what if this headache is a tumor? What if this... I mean, these get big fast. What if, what if this is an incurable disease? Uh, what if I can't sleep again tonight? What if someone breaks into my house while I'm sleeping? You know, sometimes I, I, it's not funny, but I laugh at my wife because, you know, I'll walk out the door and I forget to say I love you in return. And she starts washing the dishes and by the time she's done, she, she's convinced that, that I'm leaving and I'm never coming back. And I'm like, I was just thinking about something else. I'm sorry, I didn't say I love you. Well, her mind, I mean, I'm telling you, to track, I don't try to track her thoughts. See, men, we take steps from one thought to another. Women, like, jump into a wormhole and end up in another universe. There, there is no connection. 
So I'm just glad, guys, aren't you glad you just have to track your thoughts and not your wife's? But you know what? We need to track our thoughts. Because worriers meditate on uncertainties when they should be thinking about the certainties. And there's an endless number of things to worry about. And what Paul said in Philippians is focus on the certainties. Focus on what is true about God. And it comes down to a thought I preached two years ago during a message at the height of COVID when everyone was kind of panicking about it. And I preached the message out of this text and I said, no, we've got, it's a message called what if or what is. And we're very good at focusing on what if, what if, what if. And we need to stop focusing on what if and say what is. There's objective truth. God is real. God loves me. He wants what's best for me. And I need to focus on that instead of all the possibilities out there that come my way and that could throw me off. People that focus on what if are worriers, not warriors, worriers. And especially those who are perfectionists. Now, I know a lot of perfectionists, and you probably too, and do too, and it's not realistic. This is a fallen world. There's nothing, nothing perfect about this. And we have a perfect Savior and, and He'll make all things right. But until He does, just get used to the madness. Get used to not being perfect. We have perfectionists and they're, you know, if they're not the right weight, if they don't have the right image, if, if they don't have a perfect devotional life and you know, well, you know, I walk with God, but I'm on social media. And when they walk with God and they post about their walk with God, it seems really, really good compared to mine. It's not real. Social media is, uh, is everyone else's highlight reels. And it's not real life. And we've got to stop comparing ourselves to this image that people put on the Internet that can't possibly be reality. You know, we think, I've always got to perform at my peak. I've always got to win. I've always got to, there's no mistakes allowed. You know, it was interesting when I was typing this and reading back through it. Um, no mistakes allowed. I, I spelled mistakes wrong. <laughs> God is just reminding me. No flaws, no failures. You know, and the, the hard part about that is if you have this mindset that said, I've got to be perfect and I don't want anyone else to think I'm perfect then you know what you're going to be? You're going to be the most defensive person that you could, you could ever meet. Because you'll never be able to admit when you're wrong. You'll never be able to admit when there's a, a weakness and when, when you've got to work on something. You know, perfectionism really takes over a person's life. They, they've got to always have it together or everything falls apart. But I'm telling you, it's a fantasy world. And the folks that struggle the most with despair, I think, are often people that have this expectation of perfection. And it seems noble that we want to do the right things and we want to do them the right way. And there's nothing wrong with doing our best. But when we have to have it this way to have, a, to have rest and peace, then we're leaning on something else besides God. Only our God can provide peace, not straight A's. And then young teenagers are like, yes, amen. <laughs> Flawless skin does not provide peace. Parents, well-behaved kids... That can't give you, you want that, but it's not going to give you peace. You know, it's kind of like being self-insured. You know, in life, the only, if, you can only be really be self-insured if you've got a lot of money, if, you've, if you're wealthy. You know, it, because if you have a major health crisis 
and, or you wreck your car in a big way, you can't afford to fix those costs. You need somebody with more resources than you to underwrite it when you have a big need. That's why we have insurance. But in many ways, that's similar to the mindset of a perfectionist in that you, know, you don't have enough in yourself to make everything perfect. There's going to come a time when you face something that's too big for your wisdom. And it's too big for your perfection. It's too big for your experience. There are things that are coming in life that you can't handle on your own. You need somebody greater than yourself to underwrite what you don't have. And that's why we need God. And really, he's not insurance. He should be our first stop. We're not perfect. Stop trying to be. You'll have all kinds of internal stress and perfectionists can be very discouraged and worriers and what's coming next and what's going to happen and what if. And their lives are characterized by a level of continual intensity. They live in emergency mode. You know anybody like that? And it seems like they're constantly in emergency mode. I mean, everything's a big deal. Everything's the, uh, the, you know, this is the end of the world, emergency mode. Heart rate's always up. Adrenaline's always pumping. They're never slowing down. You know, you can't live that way very long and not have it affect your health. Warriors live in fear. You know, we say, God, remove my fear. But you know, God uh, never promised to remove our fear. You know what? God said it's our responsibility to not be afraid. He says, be not afraid. He says, fear thou not in Isaiah 41.10. He said in 2 Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And you know what? Fear doesn't come from God. And fear, God doesn't take fear away. Fear is a matter of obedience. He says, it's your responsibility to fear thou not. It is your responsibility to be not afraid. It's our responsibility to say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, go back and read Philippians 4. We just read it. You know, we've got to start thinking on the right things. Worriers scare themselves all the time. But fear thou not, God always does this. He says, fear thou not, then he says something about himself. Fear thou not. You know why? Because I'm with you. Don't be afraid because I'm I'm that God. Child, I'm here and I can handle whatever you're dealing with. Worriers, you know, listen, worriers are masters at meditation. You know, the Bible says that we ought to meditate therein day and night on the word of God. And we say, I'm not very good at meditation. Well, have you ever worried about something? Then you're good at meditation. Worriers know how to take one thought and look at it from every angle and consider it from all sides and think about every scenario. They know, we know how to meditate. We're masters at it. We just need to stop focusing on uncertainties and trade them for certainties. Uncertainties are what ifs. Certainties are what is. And worry is the root cause of so many disorders in people's lives, anxiety disorders and panic attacks and obsessive thinking and compulsive behavior, anorexia and bulimia and eating disorders, anxiety, phobias, self-mutilation, sleep disorders. I mean, all of those things, you can't just help somebody with those kinds of problems without dealing, usually dealing with the issues of anxiety, fear and worry. Worry is the root cause of a lot of physical problems in people's lives, too. And I'm certainly not a doctor, um, but I know this to be true in my own life. You know, God designed our bodies to, 
to be wonderful things. And he's put within us the autotomic nervous system, and it's responsible for the control of things that we don't think about, these things that just happen naturally, and uh, you know, breathing and our heartbeat and digestion and those kinds of things. And, and, and that is what kicks in when our bodies go into emergency mode. When there's a threat, our, our nervous system, autotomic nervous system, sympathetic nervous system kicks in when there's an emergency. And let's just say you're driving down the road and, and you're on a two-lane highway and there's a car coming toward you and there's a truck, a semi-truck that decides to pass the car. So he gets over into your lane coming at you and you start doing math. And I don't think there's enough distance. And so what happens is as soon as your mind says, emergency, we're in trouble. I don't know how, what your mind sounds like. I guess mine sounds like a robot, but emergency. You know what? Our God made our bodies to respond to that threat and our autonomic nervous system kicks in and, and you know what happens? It, it, it dumps adrenaline into our system and hormones and, and our heart starts racing. You've been there. You know, when, when, you're in a, when something threatens you, your heart starts racing and and uh, your breathing speeds up and your muscles tense and your stomach clenches and your pupils dilate and your breathing speeds up and all of those things, your blood pressure, because you're ready for the emergency. So you bail off the road because the truck is not going to and you pull to a stop and what are you doing? <sighs> breathing. Heart rate's up, your breathing's up, your face is red. All of those things are just automatic responses of your body. And that's your body helping you to respond to an emergency. You know, what's interesting is you can go home and you can tell that same story. And guess what? Your heart starts racing again. Your breathing speeds up again. Because it can be a real, a real problem in the moment or a real emergency or a perceived emergency. It doesn't have to be real for our body to respond that way. And, and, and if you're a worrier, you're keeping your body in emergency mode all the time. And that's not good. Um, Jim Berg gives an illustration. And he says, go back to a, a few generations to your great-grandfather. Great-great-grandfather, maybe. And your great-great-grandfather is out in the woods and he's hunting to provide for his family. And, and while he's out in the woods, suddenly a bear comes running out of the trees at him. So your great-grandfather gets on Facebook and live streams. No, no, your great-great-grandfather, that's what they do today. Your great-great-grandfather runs. And he runs for his life. And let's say that he outmaneuvers the bear and he gets back to his homestead, shuts the door, sits down in his chair, and guess what he's doing? His heart is racing. His blood pressure is up. His, his heart rate is up. His breathing is fast. Um, he's sweating. He's, he's, he, he's, he's just gone through an emergency and a threat. But you know, after he got into that emergency, he also ran for a while. So he ran off the adrenaline and he burned a few calories. It's called the bear diet. We should all try it. You know, adrenaline is a, there was physical exertion, but when you had the issue with your car, you didn't do anything. 
So adrenaline is a wonderful friend in emergency. It prepares us to run. It prepares us to, to, to do whatever you do in a threat. But without an actual emergency, it doesn't have anywhere to go. And it causes damage. And that's where we are. Is that we're not facing real emergencies, but our body's responding with, to an emergency situation. And it's like sitting in your car. And I'm not a me- mechanic either, but um, Brother Craig or, is in here. Or somebody that knows about cars. If you filled up your car and you went and sat in your car, but you kept it in a park. And you put, your, put the accelerator to the floor. And you just kept it there for a few hours without going anywhere. I imagine that'd be not, that wouldn't be good for your car. You know, because all of that energy is turning into heat, but that, that energy is supposed to be turning into motion. And so things are going to start to seize up and things are going to start to break. Things are going to start to bust. And, and all of that heat has got to go somewhere and it's going to blow out. Listen, God gave us an emergency mode to run away from bears, but not lie in our beds at night and worry about what's coming next. We're in emergency mode all the time and, and the heat is turned up and it's hurting us and we will eventually melt down. Stress-related problems, according to the American Psycholo- Psychological Association, the constant activation of the sympathetic nervous system, they say it this way, it affects all systems of the body, including the musculoskeletal, the respiratory, the cardiovascular, endocrine, gastrointestinal, nervous, and reproductive systems. And if it affects all of those systems all the time, I can't imagine that, that it's good for our health. Anxiety and disorders are showing up in children, younger and younger. They're living in emergency mode because we're living in emergency mode. Teenagers aren't sleeping. There's so many activities. There's so much to do. So much stimulus through a screen. I mean, right before bed every night can't be healthy. Video games. It's putting them in constant emergency mode and no outlet. And there's a thought that these anxiety problems and disorders, you know, somebody will say, well, it runs in my family because, you know, he had it. Now I had it. Now they do run in families, but they don't run in families because it's genetic. They run in families because it's learned. And And I'm not saying there aren't times where certain things get passed from parents to children, but, you know, our response to stress is learned behavior. I mean, let's say that you were raised in a home that roots for the Dallas Cowboys, like I was. I was expecting a few amens, but I guess not. You're likely a Dallas Cowboy fan. And, and if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, you know what anxiety is like. Constant emergency mode. We know. Well, traits run in families. The reason anxiety runs in families is because children learn from their parents... In, in, in families, how to respond to stress. And your response is training your children how to respond to stress. And when you freak out over the little things, guess what your children will do? God put children into families so that parents would train the next generation toward godliness, but in many homes, they're being trained to live in emergency mode. Always going, always intense, always busy, always stressed, raised voices, emergency after emergency after emergency every day. And it's got not good for their little hearts in the same way that it's not good for our hearts. We should be saturating our children with the word of God, not the worries of life. 
And if mama handles stress like a maniac, the kids will pick up on that. And if dad's a perfectionist with no grace, the kids will pick up on that. It gets passed along. You know, anxiety is the fear that I'll not get what I need or want. And it's driven by unbelief and discontentment. And that's why anxiety is always portrayed in the Bible as a spiritual problem. God's not enough for me. I need something more. And I'm afraid I won't get it. In an attempt to keep things from getting out of control, we allow fear to gain control. And we, not, we will not be anxious if we know God well enough. And we're content with what God has provided because we found him to be more than enough for us. And you've got to begin tracking your what-if thinking. And I'm just going to be transparent and make a confession. I had a moment yesterday. A what-if moment. And I woke up early in the, in the morning and I was feeling very anxious. And the reason was, is because Olivia had been home for spring break and she needed to go back to school. And so you may think this is silly, but it's a big deal to dad. So this is the first time then that we had said, okay, we're going to send Audrey back with her and then Audrey we've got some miles and points and we'll fly her back up here today so I woke up dad woke up really early yesterday morning because they were going to leave at 8 or eight thirty. my heart was racing my breathing was up I mean I was I was anxious because I was thinking of my two little girls in a car for 650 miles all by themselves. And you say, well, they're 18 and 19. I say, I know, but in my mind, I'm still carrying them around church, one in each arm. You know, when they were 15, it was awkward, but I was doing it. <laughs> so, no, when they were real little, I, I mean, that's, I walk around with both of them, no big deal. And now for the first time, we're going to send them you know, a long ways away for this dad in a car by themselves. And so it was early and I was up by myself. And I thought, you know what? I've been preaching this for two months. So I got down on my knees where I pray on the recliner downstairs. And I'm telling you, it was, I couldn't even, I, I couldn't even stay in the prayer position Say, you have mental problems, Pastor. (laughs) No, this is what anxiety does to us. Because I'm thinking of my girls, and I'm thinking about other drivers, and I'm thinking about that 100-mile stretch of two-lane highway they're going to be on. And I'm thinking about that tin can of a Honda CRV that has 210,000 miles. And the garage looked at it. We trust them. But anything could go wrong. And I prayed, and yet I couldn't stay down. I had to stand up and walk around. And so I got my Bible, and I read my Bible for a while, a long while. And in an attitude of prayer, I just sought the Lord about it. And you know what I came to? You know what finally helped me? Is after a while of battling, I asked myself the question, who is better 
at protecting my children? Me or you? And the answer is obvious. Who loves my children more? Me or you? And the answer is obvious. Who would be better at making sure some other, sem- some other semi-driver stays alert and stays in his lane? Me or you? Who knows how to keep that Honda running better? Me or you? I mean, who, who knows how to keep those girls alert? Me or you? And every one of the questions, like A, 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 option A, God, 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 Father, Father, every one of them. And I, every one, every single problem that I had, every single fear that I possessed in that moment, every worry and concern I had could be answered with what I knew about God. My heavenly father is far better at protecting my children and he loves them more and he can keep them alert way better than I could ever dream. And you know what helped me? Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the God of peace or the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And you know, a little bit later, a couple hours later, I was waving goodbye to them. I mean, I did remind them how to change a tire if that happens. But I was waving goodbye. And you know what? I went about my day. And I checked on them a few times. But not one other time did my heart rate go up. Because I know that they are way better in God's hands than they would have been if I'd have been sitting in the car with them. And our brains operate on what if, worst case. But what we know about God is the what is. And when our minds are racing, we've got to stop and open this book and consider what's true about God. And I'm telling you, if I hadn't had something bigger than myself to hold on to yesterday, no wonder people are in despair Because there's no answer for their anxiety. They have no answer for their troubles and their worries. They have no option outside of themselves because they've chosen to reject what's true about God. And I'm saying, why live there as a Christian? When you serve a father who is and has everything you need, he is more than enough. And Ray Vermolm is right. God's in control. So I'm going to let him handle my cares and my what ifs. And I'm just going to focus on what is. And what I get to do is enjoy the peace that comes after. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.